Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. Those types of mornings. If we just pause for just a minute, you don't have to look that far to find where God's been faithful. And and it's just a matter of pausing for a minute, looking at, at everything else that is going on in my life, all of the blessings that, that exist, to recognize that, you know, in the scheme of things, a dead car battery is really not, <laughs> not that bad. We're, we're, we're doing okay. So this morning, we are continuing down the, the series that we started of the, the Road Less Traveled. Um, pausing yet again at this intersection, uh, this this stop along the way <clears throat> called the Book of Lamentations. Um, before and after. It's always, before and after is always kind of an interesting thing. Sometimes, um, for those of you that don't know, I'm a, a director in an IT company, and one of the things that we'll do, if I have a client that has just taken us on and you go in and you look at maybe their server room or like the, their IT closet. Um, I'm, I'm sure none of you have this problem, but it's very common when you have stuff plugged into technology that if you look at the back of that technology, it's just this jungle that, that you have to get a machete out to get through, right? Did anybody else have that? Uh, if you look at the back of your VCR, maybe or the back of your TV, you know, there's there's all these cords that we just we don't look at those. We just tuck those back there. Um, so an IT closet in a, a business normally has a lot of those cords, and so um, it can also look like that jungle very easily. One of the things that we do for our clients is we come in and I'll take a picture before of what their jungle looked like, and then we will organize and make it look like a professional business where the cables are routed correctly, everything's labeled and organized, and then I take an after photo. And I show that to my client because it provides value, right? They say, wow, that's what it was. This is what it is today. This is great. We like that. Before and after. If you are like embarking on like a fitness journey, sometimes you'll see where people like take a photo. This is where, where I was when I started and this is where I was at the end. Or maybe sometimes they'll take like a whole bunch of them throughout, right? And, and we see, okay, this is what it was before and this is after. If you maybe somebody's restoring a car and they take a, this picture of this like old rust bucket of a, a car or like a 1950 Chevy, you know, pickup truck, you know, something like that. And then they, they show you the after where it's this like amazing jewel of a vehicle. Or maybe it's the other way around where we see a picture of a home before an earthquake and the picture of a home after an earthquake. Or we, we see, you know, something that where it, everything looked great at one point and now look at where, where, has become of this particular person or this particular item that we're looking at. The book of Lamentations gives us a glimpse at the before, highlighting the need for God's mercy so that we can better appreciate the after. So if we look at the history of the people of of Israel, the nation of Israel, God called Abraham and he promised to make him the father of many nations. That that was the the promise, right? In Genesis chapter 12, hey, I'm going to make you 
the, the father of many nations. And through you, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed, right? And he promised to give him a place, right? It, it wasn't just you're on your own as far as where you live. No, it, there is going to be a place for you to dwell. Uh, Genesis 12, 7, it says that. And so that was a promise that God made. And even though there was mistakes that were made that were made by Abraham, there was mistakes that were made by Abraham's children, even though they, they messed up on a number of different levels, God was always faithful. And later we see that God raised up Moses after the, the people of Israel were, were taken into captivity in, in the land of Egypt. And, and Moses comes and he leads the people out of Egypt. And from Egypt, he leads them out into the promised land in Exodus chapter 3. And in leading them out, there's this covenant that is established between God and the people. And, and when there's a covenant, there's this, this blessing that comes. There, there's blessing that comes when there's obedience, but then there's also consequence for disobedience. If we look at uh, the book of Deuteronomy, chapters 28 through 30, it very clearly spells out what the, the opportunities for blessing are and what the consequences are if we choose to step out of that blessing. And so God establishes his people in the land and, and we see that there's this uh, growth that happens. But throughout the generations, after a period of time, the people stray away from God. The, the people that stray away are, are making choices that are them causing them to need to suffer the consequences of their decisions. God sends the nation of Babylon to, to judge Judah for her sins. And the, the opening of Lamentations is where we see that Jerusalem is in ruins. Is in ruins because of the, the choices that the people of Israel have made. That, that we have this nation crying out for help. So Judah has been exiled. The nation mourns the loss of, of who they used to be. And they cry out to God for relief. Have you ever had those, those moments in your life where, where you look back at a time where you say, man, I just want to go back to the way it was. I want to go back to, to this time, to, to this experience, to, to this time where I felt better, <laughs> where, where there was more something that, that was tangible that I could touch, that, that I know what was right. I, I want to go back to that. What we see in the, the book of Lamentations as we take a look at this is, is that there are multiple lessons for us to learn today if we stop and we look at it. If we, we can remove ourselves from the, yeah, this is a book about this people group that lived back then, that was struggling back then, but we don't have anything that relates to that today. Do we have struggles today? Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> We're, we're all on the same page. Uh, the struggle exists. And if struggle exists, then there are lessons for us to learn today. The first lesson is that there is hope in the midst of suffering. The, the Bible speaks to our pain through Judah's experience. And so here's a, a, a thought. Imagine being abandoned 
by every single friend that you have, every single, every single friend that you have, you, you are completely alone. And then imagine living in a country in which that situation isn't the exception, but it's the rule that every single person in that nation is feeling the same way. That's, that's kind of what it feels like to be a nation in exile. That's overwhelming. And it would be so easy to, to take those feelings and to just fall completely into depression and despair. What, what, what's the point in going on? However, even in the midst of that, even when, when these, this nation is crying out, saying, God, we are, we're alone, we have, have failed, he hasn't removed himself from his people. He is involved in their lives. He cares for them in the midst of all of the judgment that is taking place. How do we know? How do we know that God cared about these people that were in this, this difficult situation that were, were seemingly forgotten about? Because he didn't forget them. Romans 8.32, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. That in the midst of all of this people group being taken away, being, being led into exile, God never forgot. God had a plan, a plan that was going to not only restore them as a people, but it was going to be so much more. That was going to completely fulfill the law. So Jesus enters into the lives of his people. Isaiah 53, 1 through 12, it talks about Jesus being a man of sorrows and the bearer of our sins. It was interesting as I started looking at this book and as we start kind of looking at this nation taken away into exile, there's a lot of different exiles that exist in the Bible. If, if you start at the very beginning, Adam and Eve, they, they were in the garden, right? And they made a, a choice. They made a choice to do something that was contrary to the direction that they had been given by God. And, and what happened because of that? They were removed from the garden. And when they were removed from the garden, that's an exile. That's, that's being taken out of the, the place that you were created for and now having to, to make a way forward. If we, we look throughout the Old Testament, we see obviously the, the exile of the Jewish people. We see all of these different things that have happened. And maybe this is too much of a stretch, but it, I mean, it felt like, I think it could be relevant that we are in exile today. We're in exile today because this is not my home. I have been created for something that is so much better than this. And to, sometimes we need to look at the life that we have here in this place and recognize this is not my home. I am living in exile here and God has something better planned for me. As the church 
Christ's body, that's, that's who we are, our suffering in this life causes us to recognize his sufferings so that we can share in his glory. That, that's Philippians 3. That, that's what it says. <laughs> we can have hope in the midst of sorrow. We can have hope in the midst of suffering, in the midst of darkness, because he understands our suffering. And he has triumphed over it. The next lesson is that we are to know our enemy. The lamentation starts out with this mention of enemies and pursuers and foes. And I mean, it, it goes on in the first uh, two to three chapters. That's always a, kind of a common thing that you, you hear when people are talking about warfare, when people are talking about conflict, is know your enemy, right? I think, I'm sure that's in the art of war uh, somewhere. <laughs> Haven't read it, but it seems common enough. So we have to know our enemy. Why, why does it matter? What's, what's the reason to know our enemy? Because we have to recognize we have to, to recognize the, the plans and the schemes of the enemy against us. If we look at this book, if we look at these first two chapters in, in the book of Lamentations, the immediate historical context says that Babylon is the enemy. <laughs> Babylon is the one that has come. They have laid siege against Jerusalem. They are, are here to take us down. But Babylon stands for more than just that geopolitical force that's there during that time. And we, we know that, we can see that if we look at, if you guys have read the book of Revelation, if you've done any reading in the book of Revelation, there's, they talk about Babylon. If you look at the book of Daniel, that's a lot of uh, apocalyptic prophecy that happens there. There's a lot of conversation and talk about the uh, the nation of Babylon. And they're not just talking about the Babylon of that time. They're talking about something else. In 1 Peter 5.13, Peter talks about Babylon. The church lives in exile. He wasn't writing to, to people in the, the geographic region of Babylon. He was saying, hey, we as a church are in exile. We, this is not our home. Babylon, yes, it references the, the specific kingdom of Babylon in the book of Lamentations, but even when this specific empire passes away, there are others that will take its place. Rome is a perfect example that, that follows up in, in, in a historical context. If we look at that and say, yeah, this is another instance of a, a kingdom a, a conquering kingdom, an enemy that exists to the, the nation of Israel, to the, the people of God. But God doesn't just triumph over the nation of Babylon. He doesn't just triumph over the, the political powers of the day. He is triumphant over the forces of evil, the, the prince of the power of the air. In 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 57, it says, through the resurrection, he conquers the last enemy, which is death itself. 
Those are, are the enemies that exist. My, my enemies aren't necessarily the, the nations of this world. And if we look at the book of Lamentations, we start to recognize that, yes, there is a nation that exists, but there is something much more than the nation of Babylon at work here. The next lesson that we have to learn is, is who am I? If we look at the, the book of, of Lamentations, it tells us who we are. God calls his people out from the world. The, the people are not chosen because of anything that they have done. Quite contrary, they're not really even wanted. If you look at Ezekiel 16, they're kind of this group of people that, that nobody really is interested in. They're the outcasts. But the Lord has placed his gracious love upon them. So it's for this reason that, that God's judgment of, of Judah that we see described in Lamentations 1 and 2 is harsh. It seems, it seems like maybe overkill. You know, sometimes we, we look at, at the things that, that God does, and, and I, I don't understand everything that God does, and I, I'm pretty sure none of us do. Sometimes we look at, at the judgments that come down from God, the consequences that people suffer for the choices that they make, and it seems harsh. But who are these people? They're God's chosen people, a people that has been called to holiness, a people who have chosen to reject God. If we... Think about holiness. Holiness is something that if you look at the, the Old Testament, if we look at the ceremonial law that exists, there's, there's all sorts of talk about holiness, right? And, and as people come closer to the presence of the Lord, they're called to greater ceremonial purity. That, that happens, and we see that in a whole bunch of different uh, different cases. One example being where we have the most holy place, right? And if somebody wants to get into the most holy place, there's a whole process that they have to go through. You have to be a specific person. You have to wear the right things. You have to have presented the right sacrifices. You have to do everything in a prescribed way in order to get into that center place, the most holy place. And then coming outward from the most holy place, we have lesser and lesser degrees of holiness, you get to the inner court, the outer court, and, and then into the, the city of Jerusalem itself, and then finally even outside the city. And outside is the city is the worst place to be. Because that's the farthest place away from God's holiness. If we think about what happened outside the city, Jesus takes his cross and he carries it outside the city. And he's crucified there. All of the, the trash that needed to be burned, everything, all of the refuse that, that needed to be destroyed, that needed to be gotten rid of, the dead bodies, everything else like that, it was pulled outside the city, it was taken outside the city, and that's where it was, was handled. If we look at the people, even the people have this, this degree of holiness that exists in the Old Testament. We have the, the priests who are considered to be the most holy people. 
And then the ceremonially clean Jews and particularly men in that culture and in that time. Then after that, we have the ceremonially clean women and then Gentiles. And then from there, we have the people who are ceremonially unclean. And we have this structure that exists. And these principles of holiness, this kind of structure that we see here, it guides the life of Israel that this is how they're supposed to act. This this is what they, they build everything around. And it's done to illustrate the difference between God and me. To the difference between God and man, the difference between God's people and everyone else. That's why they had this structure. If you were going to have the name of God, then you have to look different. There has to be something that sets you apart. That was the communication to the people of Israel at the time, that if you are going to have my name, if you're going to carry my name, then you need to be set apart. Isn't that supposed to be true today? If I'm going to carry the name of God into my workplace, if I'm going to carry the name of God into these relationships with people that maybe have no idea who God is, shouldn't I be somehow different? Shouldn't there be something that somebody looks at and says, that's, that's different about Matt. What's, what's different? And there should be an expectation that exists. God's people are to be pure because God is pure. If we look at, at what we're called to be in the New Testament, if you, you read 1 Peter 2.9, we're called to be a holy nation, a nation of kingdoms and priests. We're called to reflect the holiness of God. There's another lesson to be learned, a lesson on consequences. Oh, yay. If we look at these first two chapters, the nation of Judah acts wickedly. They do things they're not supposed to do. They break the rules that they have been given. They, they have been given instruction and they choose not to follow it. They become unholy. So the people that are carrying the name of God have chosen to become unholy. And so because of that, they need to be removed from God's holy presence And there's a consequence that comes with that. Israel was was set apart, but now they're out amongst the nations. They were set up in the promised land, but now they don't have a place where they can be. They have returned to what seems like maybe a darker time in their history. If we think about when they were taken captive in, in Egypt, this feels like a step back towards that time. But what do we know about that time? God was faithful. He raised up Moses. Moses came and led them out of that captivity. Jesus is going to come and will lead these people out of the captivity that they're in today. Even in the midst of consequences, God is merciful. God says, yeah, you, you, you broke the rules. You, you did something you weren't supposed to do, and there's a consequence for that. That, that does not disqualify you from my love. Another lesson. Here we see who God is. 
God is just. God is beautiful. God is merciful. We see that in these first two chapters, just in the first two. If you look at at the Westminster Shorter Catechism, (laughs) I I know, right? I'm sure you just referenced that this morning. Uh, There's a definition for sin that is, is relevant. Sin is any lack of conformity to or transgression of God's law. Any lack of conformity to or transgression of God's law. Since God is perfectly holy and just, sin has to be punished. God was committed to his people. He gave commandments to his people. He gave instruction. This is how you successfully live a life with me. And he gave them terms of the covenant. This is how when you you obey, this is the blessing that you will receive. But when you do wrong, this is the consequence for doing wrong. And what we see in the book of Lamentations is that God is just. That he will not fail to bring about just punishment and just consequence for the the transgressions that, that take place. We also see that God is beautiful. The sin of God's people is a a clear contrast to what we see the reaction is from God, right? If we we see all of the choices that the people of Israel made to to follow these other gods, to sacrifice their children to these other gods, to to do all of these things that, that completely separated them from God, And contrast that with a God who loves his people so much that he gave his only son to die on a cross to save that people. The people are hopeless. The people are devastated. And yet God is still in control. God is still on his throne. God is still merciful. Although the nation is being punished for the things that they have done wrong, God is still merciful. He never ceases to be just, and yet he provides mercy through God the Messiah, through Jesus the Messiah. That right there is why God couldn't just turn his head and say, it's fine, don't worry about it. Sometimes we, we have that question of why was it that, that God needed to, to send his son to die on a cross? Why, why did all of that need to take place to begin with? Couldn't, if God really is who he said he is, couldn't he just have like wiped the slate and, and started over and everything would have been fine? God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. So God made a way to be just and to be merciful. Yes, there is a consequence for sin. Yes, there is a consequence for bad choices, for my choices, the things that I do wrong. But in the midst of those consequences, God is still merciful. Through the blood of Jesus, God shows mercy. Jesus bears the penalty for the sins of the people that we see in the book of Lamentations, but he also bears the penalty for the sins of the people here at Wood Street Chapel today. 
We're not on the run. We're not fugitives from justice. Rather, Christ has borne the iniquities of us all, and he turns and calls us sons and daughters of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that contrary to everything that we deserve, you sent your son. You sent your son to live a sinless life, to die a horrific death on a cross, to be buried in a tomb, to be raised again, and to ascend into heaven and to be at the right hand of the Father. God, we thank you for that. God, we thank you that I don't have to be on the run. I don't have to be looking over my shoulder saying, man, I sure hope this doesn't catch up to me. God, you have separated me from my sin. You have separated me from those judgments, God, and you say it is as far away as the east is from the west. What a blessing. Lord, as we move from this place into our our week, into the workplace, into the the time that we spend with our family and our friends and our neighbors and, and all of those other people that we come in contact with, God, help us to carry your name in a way that is worthy of you. God, help us to carry your name in a way that, that distinguishes us, that sets us apart, that, that when people look and see, they say, hey, there's something different about Matt, and I want that. God, give us the words to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop.